For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Today, I've got with me uh, site manager uh, of Denver Stiffs. Uh, we've got a frequent guest on other podcasts, including this one. We've got a guy who has been doing a bunch of radio spots. Uh, we've got a guy who also runs Pickaxe and Roll which is the uh, podcast on uh, Spreaker, which is the MHS me uh, network. Uh, and a good friend of mine, uh, a guy who I just spent about 10 minutes lecturing for whatever reason, probably because I am uh, overbearing and too parental. Anyway, it is my friend, Ryan Blackford. How are you doing? Uh, I, I'm doing well, Jeff. Thank you for, for having me. I, I can't believe Jeff wake, woke me up at such times as 11.14 a.m. Uh, it's, it's sort of incredible to, uh, to, to have to wake up and see this, this side of noon. It's, it's, been, it's been pretty painful, but uh, I, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, Jeff, is, Jeff is wonderful. He, has, he definitely has my best interests at heart, and that's, that's all you can really ask for with, with a, a great friend like Jeff Morton. Well, I'm, I'm, I, I, I am, I, I just look, I'm, I'm just one of these people who, who like, like thinks about these things. I've been doing this with my, another friend of mine this morning. And then I was like, I was talking to you and I'm like, shut up, Jeff, shut up. And it, 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 it's, <laughs> it's, it's an interior monologue. Shut up. Okay. So anyway, I will shut up about that. And we will go to, uh, well, the Denver Nuggets played last night and they lost uh, 122-105, I think was the final. Right. Score. And uh, I don't think the final score is, uh, is anything to talk about. I don't think that even the ha like six minutes of, uh, of, from the third quarter in the, into the third quarter and then beyond is really much to talk about. Um, because I think in my view, and I'm just going to have you react to this right at the top, I think the real Nuggets and Phoenix, and Phoenix Suns games are the first two and a half quarters. I think that is logically where these two teams reside. And I think everything else beyond midway through the third quarter is essentially a throwaway minus some minor things that we can get into. But overall, after watching last night, what is your takeaway from game one against the Suns? Uh, it's, it's different. It's a different takeaway, I think, than what I had in the moments. And, and this was very similar, I think, to Portland game one. And, and I thought that there were certain things that uh, the Blazers were doing that the Nuggets didn't necessarily have an answer for. Uh, but this is the story of the Nuggets, right? That they're, they're two and five in game ones so far in Michael Malone's tenure, right. uh, Nikola Jokic's tenure. And they don't do a great job of adjusting up front. They, they kind of let the adjustments come to them. And because they're two and five in game ones, they're actually really good in game twos most of the time. And, and they, they respond very well. They know how to respond and, and they play better. They play within the game plan a little bit more. Uh, this is something that I think uh, really stood out to me with Michael Malone in general was that he, he is a big proponent of not uh, reacting too much and adjusting the game plan too much based off of one game 
oftentimes it's because the players don't play well that the game plan doesn't doesn't excel and and he he's been he's been born out in that like this that's something that's absolutely been 100% true in, in a lot of the nuggets playoff results so i i am i am not overreacting i still think the nuggets can definitely win this series and i i'd still probably pick them to win this series because they they have a lot of answers and and i think the guys just didn't play well last night well, I think they didn't play well after a certain point. I thought they played fine. I think I thought people are piling on Jokic today. I thought he was just fine up until midway through the third quarter. And it's, it's like he, it's like he hit a brick wall, right? Like it just it just felt like it, it, whatever reason it just it just didn't stick after that. Well, Jokic tends to skip a lot of criticism because he's Jokic and he's going to be the MVP. The only one thing I will say is like when the Nuggets were down four. He chucks up a really bad airball corner three. And that to me was indicative of something that I will just mention right here. Um, folks, this is the first time the Nuggets have played against a packed arena that was not for them, that, that was definitely the imposing team's crowd in over a year since uh, the NBA went out in March of 2020. This is the first time and i gotta tell you folks you can see when it started to snowball and the nuggets suddenly got down by i think it was nine and malone took a timeout uh that the nuggets were rattled and i don't think it had anything to do with the suns i thought it had everything to do with the crowd and i, I know it's kind of shameful and this uh, the, the at least in people's minds to think well how could you let a crowd uh, affect you like that talk to people about what it was like playing at oracle when the Golden State Warriors would start to get going and that crowd would go nuts because that was easily the loudest arena in, uh, uh, in the NBA. You just, you're just not prepared for it. And I can tell you 100% that this Nuggets team was rattled by it because that team was that, that arena, which I don't think is one of the better, you know, quote unquote arenas in the NBA as far as like fan atmosphere. I just think the presence of it and the momentum of it, they just weren't prepared for and it snowballed and it looked totally like some of those golden state games where the where the dubs would just get going and going and going and a lot of that had to do they were be prepared propelled by that crowd yeah it was a it was a 16 to 0 run that that the suns went on that was kind of a a smaller portion of a larger 32 to 5 32 to 7 run i'm pretty sure and, and when you have runs like that especially when the two teams play as evenly as they did uh, it's it's hard to take the the run that seriously because it sort of felt like like you said they were affected by things and i i think that basketball players as as you well know they're creatures of habit they they want to do the same things over and over again they get into that routine and when you introduce something completely different something completely new that disrupts their rhythm disrupts their their general psyche that can really have a major effect on on what's going on in the game and i i, I don't think that Nikola Jokic handled the third quarter well. Uh, I don't think that a lot of the Nuggets handled the third quarter well. Uh, and, and that's something that they'll have to talk about, that they'll have to get through. But uh, the good news is, is that it was, it was just one game. And it, the fact that it was the first game and, and the Suns crowd was as, as boisterous and loud and, and, and 
it, it really was rolling in there. Like it, it seems like it was, it was a very, very strong crowd that, that was coming through the TV. So I, I imagine that it was a tough place to play for the Nuggets last night. And, and they just didn't really know how to respond at the moment. And they'll respond next time. That, that's just what they do. I'm, t- I'm telling you, it'll be the same for the Suns in game three. Because what people, one of the things that people don't really understand is that Staples Center, particularly California, is one of the most heavily restricted uh, areas of the country still. And that there wasn't much of a crowd at Staples. There wasn't your typical Lakers crowd. Uh, so they didn't, the, the Suns didn't feel that. Um, and it's kind of like the Nuggets in, in their series the first round. And I'm, I'm telling you, it'll be different for the Suns. The Suns will will have not had to react to it at all yet. It is just a psychological thing. Now, like I said, like you pointed out, and I kind of want to move on for this, but I thought it was a, like you pointed out that there, there was a, um, a stretch of basketball where I think Jokic played mentally soft, um, which is unusual for him. And I think the whole crowd and atmosphere rattled him more than it did everyone else. And I think everyone just went from there. Uh, everyone just kind of cascaded down because you know Compasso's already frenetic. You know that he's already high high um, motor, but he's also you know trying to get steals and all this stuff. And he was missing a bunch of threes. And I mean, there there was conditions in that run in the third quarter that were against the Denver Nuggets. Um, I don't think those will be repeated again. I do wonder how they're going to talk about, like I said, I think they've over-criticized, has, uh, Jokic has been over-criticized today, but I think it's legitimate to point out that he did not handle that stretch well at all. And he started chucking up shots that he never does. And I think if they're good Nuggets are going to take a, have any takeaway from that is to just not do that, not do that this time. Yeah. Hey, hey, don't, don't do the thing that led to a, a 16 to mm-hmm. and a, a 32 to five run. Hey, right. uh, that's, this is the hard hitting analysis on the CSG <laughs> podcast that right. I'm sure Jeff is really going for. Uh, no, I, 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 I'm in full agreement, man. Like it's a, it's something that the nuggets are going to have to deal with, but the fact is that they've been the most resilient team in the NBA for several years now, and, and they know how to bounce back in these situations. And I, I have more faith in Nikola Jokic than just about any other player, probably any other player, honestly. Right. In that he will be better than he was. Uh, there were a lot of things last night just from his game that I I didn't think that he attacked DeAndre Aiden in a healthy way. Yeah. I thought that there were a lot of times where when he had an opportunity to go and try to draw fouls and get right to the front of the rim because he's he's actually stronger than DeAndre Aiden as 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 big as Aiden is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that there were opportunities for him to attack Aiden. And the fact that he didn't, it almost looked like he was feeling out the process of the game a little bit and trying to see what Aiton was going to do uh, and, and then never actually hit the accelerator. Right. Uh, because when, when he tried to hit the accelerator, he was doing the, the Sambor shuffles. He was doing the turnarounds. He was kind of fading away on his post-ups. There was nothing towards the rim. And, and that was pretty disappointing, in my opinion. Well, it, it was he. He can cook Aiton in off the dribble. Uh, you saw it last night, uh, in the first quarter. I think he had a nice, just like he went right around Aiton and and laid it up. Uh, I think that was a double screen that I think one of the guards sent, and it it just opened him up, and Aiton wasn't able to catch up. 
Um, it wasn't a one-on-one -on -one thing. I think, I think defensively they weren't doing anything that Portland didn't do. Um, uh, do they have more capable defenders? I don't kind of is, is, is Bridges better than Robert Covington? I, I guess, uh, you know, is Jay Crowder better than uh, who else they got out there? Uh, uh, Norman Powell, I guess. Norm, Norm Powell. I mean, I, I, it, it, to me, that's kind of a wash. I don't think I was struck by any sort of defensive prowess from the Phoenix Suns last night. I'll be honest with you, and any Suns fans who are listening to this come at me. But I, I honestly do not believe I saw anything from defensively from the Suns that was like, that bowled me over. They just did exactly what Portland did. And the Nuggets were leading until they had the biggest mental brain, you know, fog incident ever at, at collectively at the same time. No, there's a lot to there's a lot to take from there, and and the fact is, like you said, they're they're leading up nine, they're up ten in that third quarter, and, and had played really well, and and things just didn't go their way after that, and I thought they they let the moment sort of get to them a little bit, but uh, it look, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna have these these moments, and and I think the Nuggets are. They have to be pretty disappointed with this. I actually posted last night that with the way that Booker and CP3 at that point were playing, uh, I think that Denver should be pretty disappointed that they didn't get that win. Uh, but it, it really was an immediate turnaround at that point that, that the Suns just, they got onto fast breaks. They turned the Nuggets over. Uh, they, they made a lot of difficult shots when the Nuggets were defending them well. Uh, the the, the out-of-bounds play that they had when Dario Saric caught the ball with Monte Morris guarding him and then just chucked it up at the rim and, and with like two seconds left on the clock and the ball bounces like straight up at a funny angle and then somehow rolls in. Uh, it was just kind of emblematic of the Nuggets night in my opinion where look, things just aren't going to go your way and, and you're going to hit your shots and the Nuggets role players aren't going to hit their shots. Like Monte Morris and, and Austin Rivers went three of 17 from the field. And that's just, that's, it's not going to cut it, but Denver should be better in some of the other games. Crowder chucked, I mean, and I do mean chucked, two, two three-pointers that somehow went in. I mean, yeah. these, were, these were shots that I think he was thinking, okay, I'm going to try to get a foul. That is the extent of, of what he was doing there. And somehow they went in. Uh, Booker had one that just, that just went in. There were some, and we can talk about this too, there were some uh, generous foul calls uh, <laughs> that, uh, hey, particularly one on Millsap, which I, I, Millsap didn't even come close to touching, I think it was Booker. And it was Sarge. No, no, it, no, Sarge. it was Sarge, yeah, right. in, Sarge in the in the first half where where he uh, Sarge gets free for a dunk. Millsap goes by him, and Sarge dunks it so violently and flailingly that he falls to the ground. And while while Millsap is running by him, kind of parallel, and and somehow Millsap gets called for it, and the, yeah. he gets a, an and one on a, on a basket that that should not have even been close. And right. uh, the, the the free throw disparity was twenty to six. Uh, the Suns shot 20 free throws. The Nuggets shot six. And I think some of that is their own doing. I don't think that Denver was super aggressive towards the rim. And, and when they when they did get to the rim, there were a lot of blown layups. Like I think Faku Campazzo had one that uh, just bounced off the front of the rim where he was wide open going there. And uh, there were some shots that I think Jokic could have hit. <laughs> like there was one where, where he had an ISO going up against Aiton down the, the left side of the lane. And he does the deceleration move that he has and just, just blows it and then blows the put 
putback layup. So right. it's, uh, it's, you're, you're killing yourself in these situations where I don't think that's going to happen going forward, or at least not to the degree that it happened last night. And, and you just got to hope that that happens and then take it and run with it. Well, no one can see the first, you know, third, two, two thirds of the game and think, you know, this Phoenix team is that much better than, than the Nuggets. But I mean, obviously there are things that the Nuggets do have to work on. Um, one thing I did notice, and I, I pointed this out to a couple of friends of mine last night, and I think it's something to watch going forward. Um, I don't, considering those two are such good friends, it's really surprising how little Monte Morris looks for Michael Porter Jr. when they're in the second unit. It is almost like their two offenses are completely mutually exclusive. Um, Porter, I think at three, I've noticed three times was trying to get into an action where they do a dribble handoff and it's coming around. And every single time, Monte not only did not even look at him, called Millsap up to, to set a pick. So it looks like Monte is just trying to exclusively do a pick and roll with Paul Millsap in the second unit every time, which is whatever it is. Um, I Millsap as being kind of less than trustworthy with his scoring ability anymore. I would want to be in a situation where I would include Mike in it because I mean, Mike gets a lot of criticism for not being a part of the audience and not including himself. Man, some of that is Monty. And he's just got to, like, look over to the side and see Mike. So he's, like, coming over and doing this action. And it was driving me nuts last night. And, like, yeah, Mike missed some shots in the second quarter. Excuse me, second half. But, uh, honestly, there was was some times where I'm, like, it, it is almost like he exists in a in an an, an entity of his own at times. And the Nuggets, I think still to this day, don't know how to incorporate Mike into the offense. I just, I, I, it's frustrating to me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see whether this is something that progresses due to need over the course of these next few games, because I think that Monte has a much tougher matchup in, in this particular series than he did against the Blazers, where right. all, all of the Blazers to guard defenders that he was facing are Anthony Simons and Damian Lillard and CJ right. McCollum and guys like that. I think they kind of suck. Uh, so I think that the, the Suns defense, one of the things that you can point to is that they're a lot more competent. Like, like they're, they're not, they're not overly overwhelming in right. a lot of situations, but the, the competency there is a lot better. Uh, Cameron Payne is going to be a, a bigger hustler and somebody who's, who's going to bother guys. And they also put Mikhail Bridges on him in a lot of cases where adding that length and, and as a ball handler defender, somebody that's going to bother a little bit. If, if Mikhail Bridges is on, Monte Morris and not Michael Porter Jr., then you should probably go for Michael Porter Jr. You should probably try to figure out how to include that guy. Uh, and I think that's one of the, the adjustments that they will make. Yeah. Uh, Mike had a really good first half last night, and I right. thought that he, he made a lot of very impressive shots, uh, both threes, but also that, that he had a turnaround over Chris Paul uh, on, on both sides of the floor, I think. Yeah. And, and he's, he's got a lot to look forward to for this series that if the jumper is working, there's nobody on the suns that can really contest it. They've just got to get it to them a little bit more. And, and I think they will. I think they will too. It's just, it, it is fascinating to me. And I don't think Compasso does, does a great job of it either. Uh, Jokic is the best one at getting the ball to Mike. Uh, but a lot of times in, in his uh, um, second unit scoring, Mike's just shooting, you know, and he does yeah. really well 
just in that, but he's just not part of what they're doing. And that's something that really stuck out to me, even in the first half. Um, and part of what I'm seeing the evolution of this is the Nuggets have to decide. And this is to me the nexus point, and I think the critical adjustment in this series. The Nuggets have to decide the Faku Monte Morris thing, depending on what Will Barton's going to be doing, by the way, because that's the wild card we haven't even discussed yet. But um, the Faku Monte Morris thing, I, I'm inclined to say Monte should start, and they need more of a facilitator in the second unit. I guess is right now, even though the second unit is okay, they kind of need that because I I'm looking at this last night and I'm thinking they, if Monte could let's just like facilitate a little more, but at the same time, you know, Chris Paul is a, I wouldn't call him a, a an exceptional defender, but he's really persistent and very pesky and he will goad you into going whatever direction he wants you to go to go in. So I don't know if that would benefit the nuggets more. That's the only quote unquote adjustment that I think the Nuggets can make. Otherwise, I think they're kind of set. I think uh, th- there's definitely something to that. One of the benefits of having Monte in the starting unit is that it puts them more permanently with Nikola Jokic. And you can also stagger those guys a little bit so that right. even even if Monte is starting, that you could stagger him with the second unit and maybe cut down Marcus Howard's minutes a little bit or, or even Faku's minutes a little bit. Uh, there, there are definitely ways to make it work. But one of the major benefits of having uh, Monte with that starting group is that he forces the Suns to make some choices with who they're going to put Mikhail Bridges, their, def- their best defender on. Right. If they're going to have him defend the pick and roll, then that means he's not defending Michael Porter Jr. Right. And then if you've got Jay Crowder defending Michael Porter Jr., then that means you've got Devin Booker in all likelihood on Aaron Gordon. And I thought that Aaron Gordon did a lot of good things last night, mm-hmm. posting up uh, – make uh, Devin Booker under the rim and, and making sure to make him work. Right. And I thought he got a lot of easy baskets out of it. And that's, that's one way the nuggets can sort of leverage those matchups a little bit and take advantage of their size that I, I don't think we, we foresaw at the beginning of this series. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, I, I was going to point that out too. And I'm glad you brought it up. Aaron Gordon posting up uh, uh, and, and Gordon is not the best post-up player I've ever seen, but he, he can exploit mismatches because Booker, you know, God bless him, is not a good defender. So get him into uh, the torture chamber and get him on to Gordon every single time. And, and the frustrating thing about this sometimes is the Nuggets are really bad at exploiting post-mismatches with wing, wings players, with wing players. Um, Mike rarely gets post-ups because he gets bodied a lot. But I'll be honest with you, the Suns weren't exactly bodying him last night. And I was like, this is your golden opportunity to get this done because he's taller than Mikhail Bridges too, you know? So it's like, get your guys with the height advantage into closer to the basket and exploit these because, you know, at the very least, it makes these guys defend you. You have to make them defend it. You make it very easy if you do what I, you know, I, I, I said to Eric Sparopoulos years ago that the Nuggets kind of descend into dribble handoff hell sometimes. And I think that, <laughs> I, think, I think it's just, they're waiting. And I always say this, like they wait for the swinging gate, you know, that starts at the corner and they wait for the gate to go get to Jokic at the top. And it's like, oh no, not this guy, not this guy, not this guy. And it just, it drives me insane. Because you can exploit mismatches in another way. And all Mike has to do is turn around and shoot. 
I mean, we saw you, you, you were saying that when he was doing that with Paul. And it's like, all he has to do is just turn around and shoot, and it's probably good. With Gordon, man, if he just gets a little aggressive and he exploits that mismatch with Booker more than they've been doing right now, the Nuggets can get Booker into foul trouble pretty easily. And I think that that is maybe the future key to this. Rather than getting Aiton into foul trouble, getting Booker into foul trouble kind of derails most of the uh, Suns' offense. And, and if the Suns are going to have to help in, in that situation, the good thing is that Aaron Gordon is a good passer. Right. And he has the size mismatch over Devin Booker where he can look over him. He can see over him a little bit and see where those double teams are coming. If, if they prepare him, if the Nuggets prepare him for, for some of those doubles from where they're going to come from on the floor, maybe they have Nikola Jokic at the top of the key. And, and if he can get the ball to Nikola Jokic when DeAndre Ayton is doubling on the strong side, then, then Jokic has easy pick and pop three that he could probably hit. Uh, you could do the same thing with Porter over there, where if, if, if Jay Crowder is helping over, then uh, you, you have a great opportunity to get Michael Porter, a 45% three-point shooter, a wide open shot in rhythm. So there's, there's a lot to like. And, and I think that the Nuggets can definitely take advantage of some of those things. And uh, it all comes back to getting Monte back in the starting unit. Uh, I think that having a better pick and roll threat is going to be helpful. I thought that Faku played well last night uh, overall, but I just, I just don't see the overall ceiling that they can reach while he's out there. I think that you want to have Monte, you want to have Austin Rivers out there, at least for now. And you got to hope that those guys shoot well because they, they give Denver the best utility overall. Well, you're wondering how much, and this is probably, I will, we'll, we'll, we'll comment on this and then uh, we'll take a break for DraftKings, but you wonder how much Will Barton coming back will affect this team. And by the way, and you were privy to this too, the Nuggets, or maybe not the Nuggets, but there was a, I'll say there was a very big feeling that Will Barton would have been back by game three of the first round. Yeah. And um, (laughs) this isn't, this isn't akin to, I don't think the bubble, but I think I don't blame people for being frustrated. uh, But the injury that Will has is frustrating. So I don't, I don't know how to read this, but, Man, they were that there was like stuff out there that he was going to be back game three, and it is now game two of the second round, and a couple of weeks later, and it's just it's kind of hovering out there. And to be honest, at this to, to this at this point, Will Barton post injury slash still injured is not the greatest contributor in the world. You saw that in uh, uh, the the Blazers series um, in two thousand nineteen when he was getting booed, like, and that was pretty cheap by the fans. I would never would encourage booing your own players, but there is, there is that kind of floating out there. And I don't know how much the Barton dynamic, if he comes back is going to affect this team. I am very curious to see it. I think one of the things that's going to be helpful for Denver, uh, you could see the Suns really passing over the top of Denver's, uh, help defenders and and making sure to skip the ball and do all of those things where having a guy with Will Barton's length either at the one or the two 
on, on most of these situations could be really helpful in a playoff series like this, where you just need size to bother everybody. You need somebody who can be in, in the gap on help defense and get some deflections. And that's one thing that Barton, like he can do that. If he, if he locks in, if he could be helpful, if he could be springy, uh, but also somebody who's confident and also somebody who's willing to shoot. Uh, there's going to be a lot of, opportunities for Denver's role players to take some shots here and, and to, to make some shots. And if, if there's one thing that Barton adds, it's, it's that confidence that will pull the Suns away from the paint. And, and that's something that I think it, it has a spiral effect that if he gets some shots up and if he makes some, then ev- everything kind of sort of falls into place. And the rest of the Nuggets will play with a lot of confidence if they see Will Barton come back and being successful. It's just like, because they, they didn't have him in the first round. And then look at what they do with them in the second round. Just adding that guy to the mix will be super helpful from, from both a, a logical, but also an emotional lift. Yeah, and I'm, I'm kind of with you as far as the emotional lift goes. Uh, I think they kind of would uh, benefit from like, oh, we're like we're not completely injured. And who knows when P.J. Dozier is <laughs> going to be coming back, I'll be honest with you. But uh, the Barton coming back at the very least would kind of benefit them from, a, oh, God, you know, not everyone on the planet is injured kind of psychological thing. And I think they would benefit. They get a boost from that. Plus, if Jokic is announced as the MVP here soon – and they're able to do award him something at the at the game three. That'll be a huge emotional boost. There's a lot of different things that are happening in this series. A lot of different dynamics that will, I, in, you know, in my view, make this series a little different looking than it is right now. So, I um, I am going to go ahead and predict that Will Barton will be back for game three. Um, that's that's something I want on record here. I, I just tend to think that they, they've been pretty slow with this timeline with him yeah. and that there, there was like, it was out there for a reason that he could have, like there, it was a possibility that he would be back and, and the nuggets held like whether they held him out or whether he chose to, to kind of just take it slow. Uh, the, the time for taking it slow is over. The Suns are a better team than the Blazers and the, the nuggets need will like they, they just need somebody like him to, to contribute to their rotation. I think he will be back for game three. I think that'll be the time where you want to bring him back and can have a big lift. All right. Well, that's, I'll leave you, give you the final word on the recap of game uh, one. And when we come back, um, I will talk to you about DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. We will be back in a moment. Now it's time to talk to you about DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Um, I don't, part- I mean, I've said this over and over, and I've got some blowback from people. I don't, I don't actually uh, use DraftKings. I, I actually don't use any sportsbook because I don't gamble. But I have family members and friends who have used DraftKings and they are very happy with it. Um, and I do know some colleagues, uh, one that's shaking his head right now, that is that that's used DraftKings. <laughs> and uh, actually, Ryan, have you been happy with what you've been able to accomplish and do on DraftKings? Yeah, I, I had a couple of great days in a row uh, just a little bit ago and was able to cash out some of my winnings off of some free bets that I had earned and accumulated for being a new user. And it, it was something that I think I think it really paid well for, for me to do that and be a part of that. And it's a lot of fun to, to support your team in a different way and, and, and get involved in a different way in the sports world. Well, you know, it's the, 
from what I understand, and you and my friend Pat, who is my co-host on uh, my other podcast, the Gen X Show, uh, both of you, you really have uh, benefited a lot and liked a lot from what they've you've uh, got from DraftKings. Uh, it is it seems to be sweeping the nation, and it's easier than ever, from what I understand, to do this stuff. Um, uh, Nate Lundy, uh, my old radio co-host. Uh, always tried to convince me to, to start doing it and I was resistant, but he made it his life's mission for me to eventually start doing this. Uh, I don't know if that's ever gonna happen, but I do not begrudge anyone that will do, the, do that. And DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you at courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in free site credits. That's right, pick any basketball team that is still in contention, bet $1, and if that team wins, you will win $100 in site credits. Don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions on bas baseball, hockey, and so much more all week long. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free side credits. Bet on the ba basketball team of your choice to win their next game, and if they do, you will claim $100 in free side credits. That's promo code MHS for a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Wager paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right, you like my, uh, my ad reading voice? It's there? a Monday, Monday, <laughs> Monday, Monday. Monster truck rally. <laughs> I try, I try to, I try to do that because it like it actually gets me into, believe it or not, it gets me into a rhythm of re reading these things because I, I stumble over myself because uh, I need to like read through something a couple times before I get like the rhythm of it down, and now that I've read that one like several times now I'm, I'm, I'm get getting into radio voice. That's what I. You do. got it down. It's yeah. it's it's a good it's a good read. It's a good fun read. <laughs> so uh, I, I teased before we took the break that I kind of. I wanted to talk about going around the league and there's a couple things floating around right now. And I, I wanted to address yesterday, Portland GM, Neil O'Shea's just train wreck of a press conference, wherein he implied that the Nuggets were a worse team than, than the Blazers, blamed the coach for the loss on the, at, to the Blazers, said that they weren't going to make basically any sort of meaningful adjustment to the roster and said that the coach that he hires must be happy with it. <laughs> and it was, it was, um, I've never seen a post, uh, post uh, year press conference like that. It was, it was like he was trying to antagonize people. Yeah. Like I, I know that the, the superstar of your franchise really wants to hear that it actually wasn't your fault and, and it really was the players and the coaches fault. And, and that's, that's just how things have to happen. And you just gotta, you just gotta understand that you gotta, you gotta look at it from his perspective, but uh, no, it's it a, a complete tire fire. It's Neil. Oh shit. Uh, Damian Lillard <laughs> is calling me. Uh, that's, that's where he's, that's where he's at during that presser. I just, I just don't, I just don't get it, man. Like the, Clearly, they, they couldn't play Derek Jones Jr. They couldn't play Harry Giles. They couldn't play all of the players that Neil O'Shea had brought in other than Enes Cantor and Carmelo Anthony. Like, how much did, did, how much did he actually do other than, like, use a whole bunch of their draft capital to get Robert Covington and Norman Powell into their starting lineup, and it didn't actually matter? So it, it was just – it's just a very odd – 
press conference. I think that you're probably not going to see Damian Lillard be too happy about it. And it wouldn't surprise me if you've got the Chris Haynes article in a couple weeks about how Damian Lillard is unhappy with the situation and is exploring other options. Well, the rumor this morning, I don't know if you saw me retweet this article, was that uh, Chauncey Billups is the uh, odds-on favorite to be the next head coach of the Portland Trailblazers. Um, if I'm Chauncey, I, I'm, I'm like, okay, only if, if there's some significant change to the roster. I mean, I, I think the, because of the roster limitations, they could adjust how they play, and it won't make a dime's worth of difference in in the way things go because it is it their roster limitations set what they were able to do terry stotts i think it was not the most the most accomplished coach i've ever seen but he, he was good enough to get them to the playoffs for eight straight years right and what what i saw was that he was playing the way they had to play with the players they had on their roster and i don't think getting a motion offense or anything like that or an, i don't know flex or something like that would improve their odds of doing anything because their players are kind of who they are. That's, that's one thing that really stands out with them is that there's just not a lot of excitement with the young guys there other than maybe Anthony Simons. But uh, with you, if you have Damian Lillard there and you have CJ McCollum there and you have Norman Powell there, then how much of a difference is Anthony Simons going to actually make? Uh, right. I, I think that there's there's definitely some logic in moving on from CJ McCollum. Mm-hmm. There's definitely some logic in trying to get a little bit bigger, trying to get a little bit more athletic, uh, doing some things defensively that, that will improve your team. Uh, Robert Covington is a good defender. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic, I think, proved that he's, he's, at least in certain matchups, is a very good defender. Uh, I thought he did a decent job against the Nuggets, but it, it just wasn't enough because they didn't have other guys that could really compete with Nikola Jokic and could really compete with some of the other big players out there. Mm-hmm. So if I were them, I would be looking very heavily at packaging CJ McCollum, at packaging uh, the the injured carcass of Zach Collins, who looks like a, a white pride, like <laughs> like uh, just just protester on the sidelines with how he's screaming at the Nuggets. Uh, and, and I would try to ship those guys out of there and, and bring back somebody who can give them some athletic burst and, and while also staying on the floor a little bit and, and being able to hit some shots that, that uh, I don't think that CJ McCollum was able to hit. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Now, kind of moving on to, uh, to the, the playoffs, uh, the Eastern Conference. Um, Philly... Um, losing to the Atlanta Hawks. I think I'm trying to decide if I was underestimating the Hawks or overestimating the Sixers. And it basically, I I guess it could be a combination of both, but the Sixers, even though they came roaring back in that game one, even then they didn't look great. And there was some issues that they had uh, with Simmons staying on the court with uh, Embiid specifically staying on the court, um, obviously for various reasons. And it, it just seems to me like I, I don't know if they have that next gear. Maybe I'm underestimating the, the, the Sixers, but I didn't see that next level going on there. Yeah, Danny Green was the guy that was spending a lot of time on Trey Young in that yeah. first game, and, and they have better defenders too. 
uh, sort of get involved in, in that matchup, I think. I think Ben Simmons has to get involved there. I think Matisse Thybul has to get involved there. Uh, but there are players that can certainly do it. And, and it's going to be interesting to see if they can uh, stop this uh, Atlanta Hawks pick and roll attack, which I think is it is it is meant to take advantage of a team like the Sixers right. that when they set a pick and roll uh, and a guy like Clint Capella or John Collins is setting that pick for Trey Young, he's going to have some opportunities when a guy like Joel Embiid isn't coming out and meeting him at the top of the floor and he's instead playing drop coverage or he's playing below the level. And, and you, you're in that situation where – Trey Young is going to kill you if you if you continue to do that, yeah. and and I think that he's talented enough that he can do that all series in order to make it work. Uh, the Sixers are going to have to make some adjustments. They're going to have to be better. Uh, but if if the Hawks continue to do what they're doing, I don't see any reason why they can't push this pretty deep. It, it will be interesting to see whether they have enough talent to get it over the top. Yeah, and I think you know Embiid had what thirty. 35, 36 points in that, in that first game, but they didn't seem very consequential. I guess it, it, was, it was really weird. And I think, I think maybe, and, and, and like in the grand scheme of things, I think maybe I, I wasn't fully taking serious this, this Hawks team since Nate McMillan has taken over, uh, how much this team has, has changed drastically. And I think it kind of shows that what you have always said, that offense uh, wins now. And uh, this is a very good offensive Atlanta team. Yeah, it's like that in Atlanta, and it's like that with Brooklyn and Milwaukee. Like, it's, yeah. it just feels like around the league, the teams that can't be stopped on the offensive end are the ones that continue to advance here. Uh, if, they don't ha- if you don't have an answer for what they're doing, maybe that's where the defense is, is winning t- titles, is that if you have answers, then that's what is the big difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Philly isn't that versatile of a defensive team. They should be more versatile. They should be able to do some of these things with the talent that they have. Like, I don't think there's a more talented trio of players defensively on a roster right now than Embiid, Simmons, and Tybal. Like, those guys are awesome. Uh, But if if they aren't going to be able to play all three of those guys and the the Hawks are able to kind of muck things up when all three of them are out there because – all three of them have their flaws, uh, mostly Simmons and Dybul, uh, then it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for them to keep up with what the Hawks are doing. And I, I, I am looking forward to that because if the Nuggets last longer uh, than the Sixers when, when Jokic has, is over Embiid and, and he didn't have Murray and the Sixers had Simmons, then yeah. it's going to say a lot about where the Sixers are as a franchise and where Embiid is as a, as a top dog that, yeah. that if, if he can't do this against the Hawks, then they, they, they shouldn't be considered a top tier franchise. Yeah. And uh, oh, man, speaking of disappointment, Milwaukee Bucks. Um, Good Lord. I here's my, here's my, it's, I, this is not maybe a hot take, but Mike, Mike Budenholzer is, a guy who will get you to the second round. I, 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 I think that one of the fatal flaws I have seen is that they had an opportunity to adjust after game one and stayed with the same thing, basically. And I thought it would have been obvious to maybe get Lopez out of the starting lineup and have, basically play Giannis at center 
go ultra small and make yourself a lot more versatile on the wings. And uh, he didn't. And I, I think that that comes back to the common criticism about Budenholzer is that his, uh, it takes him a long time, kind of like with, with Malone, but Malone eventually gets the right idea. It seems like Budenholzer doesn't. Uh, particularly against uh, I me mean, look that's the, it may not matter and I'm, I'm fully cognizant of the fact that, that this Brooklyn team is awesome and it's probably not going to be losing very many games going to the finals so there's that but I mean oh my god it's just try something logical you know how how disappointing is it that that the Brooklyn Nets have compiled this many talented players and they didn't really have to do anything for it. Like they just, they just became bare bones competent with D'Angelo Russell a couple of years ago and kind of centered around a, a collective of players that yeah. after all of the, the crap they had to go through following the, the Mikhail Prokhorov days that, that they were able to compile all of these guys because they had cap space at the right time. And they're just adjacent to the New York Knicks. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, and, and the fact that you had, Durant just wanting to get out of, out of Golden State. And yeah. that was fortunate for them as well. Uh, coming off an injury where they could afford to see him sit. Um, Kyrie gets over there. He's like, all right, we'll, we'll coast for a year. Um, and then they're able to get Harden because Harden forced his way out of Houston, uh, dogged his way out of Houston. They were able to get Blake Griffin, who quite clearly – completely dogged his way all the way through his time in, in, in Detroit, which oh yeah, if I'm a Detroit fan, I look at what Blake Griffin's doing now and I am furious, <laughs> absolutely furious at that. They thing. didn't, they didn't exactly put a lot of talent around no. him, but the fact like they, they, it should have been better. Like, it was very odd that they, that they signed Jeremy Grant and, and with when they had Blake Griffin already on the roster, because those guys are going to play kind of a fulcrum position and, uh, it, I, I can I can see why Blake Griffin dogged it. Don't get me wrong. Like if if I was traded to Detroit like six months after I signed a max contract to be with the Los Angeles Clippers for the rest of my career, uh, that I I would be pretty upset. And and he, I thought he did his work early with that franchise. But the fact is is that like these guys they don't get a lot of choice in this matter. And and he's never actually had a choice on where he wants to go. So yeah. uh, good for Blake Griffin for getting back to the level that he was like the hustle that he is putting in and the athleticism that he's putting in, in these first two games, it's just been really impressive to watch him. I didn't think that he had this level again. Well, I, uh, Griffin and uh, clearly, clearly miraculously becoming a, a much better player with the Nets <laughs> doesn't, doesn't upset me as much as like JJ Reddick saying like, I'm pissed off that you traded me to the, to the Dallas Mavericks, you promised me I would go to the Nets, and God, and, he just he just wanted a title. That's that's really irritating. And, <laughs> and it's like it's like, come on, man! Like you, you're you're just got the rest of this little bit of your contract left over, and you can go. And then it's just I I don't. It, it's all this shit that that it just bugs me. But I'll I'll say at the same time, like, look, the Denver Nuggets got Aaron Gordon. And Gordon was unhappy his last couple of years in Orlando. I mean, they were a thoroughly mediocre team. Um, and they were able to 
adjust, get this trade. But you could tell that Gordon was like, I get to go here and be on a team that is like got a chance. Uh, and too bad Jamal got injured because this team was looking awesome before, <laughs> before Jamal got injured. But uh, <laughs> that's another story. Yeah. Uh, but, but Gordon also was like, has taken a much lesser role and has basically decided to be the defensive uh, specialist. He is the, he is the Bruce Bowen, I guess, of this, of this Nuggets team right now. And it's interesting how he's kind of stepped into it because I, I told the story uh, a while back. The Nuggets really liked uh, Aaron Gordon when he was drafted. Um, and I think there was some hope that he would have fallen past four. I think he was drafted that year. He was drafted right after Embiid, <laughs> as I remember, and uh, in 2014. Mm-hmm. And I think the Nuggets were secretly hoping that he would have dropped the seven. Or no, they weren't seven that year. They were ten or eleven. That was they were uh, they were like eleven or yeah. or something like that. And yeah, and, and they and they, they traded, traded into it. that yeah. position where. But they but they probably would have traded up. Let's be honest. Like if they if they liked Aaron Gordon that much, then they mm-hmm. they might have moved up in order to get him. And, and it would be interesting if they didn't have the 41st pick in the draft that year, then they, they might not have been able to select the, the Serbian kid. Uh, I think, I think that acceptance of role and understanding what you need for a team is a, uh, a skill that's worth a lot of money that doesn't get paid in the NBA. I'll be honest with you. And uh, Gordon, I think it's like, he's got another year, right? 20 million next year, I think. He he has another year and and then after that like he's he's going to want some of that cash. He's going to want to be paid like the the supreme role player that he is, but mm-hmm. it's hard like he he's he's going to be trying to strike that balance between like what a Jeremy Grant got and what he got on his previous contract, which is about kind of like that 15 to 20 million per year amount. Well, and the, look at this and and this all I kind of like wrap it up with this, but I went over this with Nate and I didn't answer my own question very well because I, I, I don't know. What do you think the nuggets are going to have to do with Mike? Because his early extension is coming up this off season. And this is going to be an interesting decision that they're going to have to make. Um, do you feel just as an opinion, do you feel that they're going to have to give him at least close to a max extension, early extension, in order to uh, keep him in, because they, they have ultimate control over him, obviously, because of restricted free agency. But do you think that a make good for a semi-max extension would be the right for, you know, way the Nuggets should go? Oh, yeah. No, I think, I think that given how he's been addressed in, in the media, given given what people think of him, given his reputation, and given what he's shown in a lot of these playoff games, like how many players are capable of going for 22 points in a quarter? How many players are capable of going six of six from three? Uh, the way that he was being defended by the Blazers, they were draped all over him, and he was still able to figure some things out and make some things work. And I think that a player like that that shows that ability at a young age, uh, it may not be immediate. It may not be like the the most ideal uh, in in those situations, but I think that he deserves a max. The Nuggets paid for Jamal Murray to get a max. 
uh, when after he was coming out of the 2019 playoffs when he showed up against the Spurs and the Blazers and kind of even even though it was a little bit debatable, they paid ahead of time and and they they rewarded their guys for doing what they asked them to do. Uh, Mike has done what the Nuggets have asked him to do. And he's shown that he has the talent in order to go well beyond that as well. Uh, without him and without him being able to step up and take a lot of that attention, they would not have made it out of the first round. So I think that it's going to be a very quick decision, actually, that this Nuggets team is going to – they're going to offer a big deal. They're going to offer a – either a five-year, $170 million max, or they'll, they'll go four years and they'll figure it out. But I, I think the Nuggets are going to try to give him the full boat and see what he says. Uh, yeah, because uh, the, what the, the, the big max would be five years, right? And if uh, they um, – because I don't think they can – if they offer him five on an early extension, it has to be the super max, right? Doesn't it? Uh, it, it doesn't have to be – the super max is basically – it goes from 25 to 30% uh, right. of, of, the, of the salary cap, but he doesn't qualify for that because he hasn't made an all-NBA team. That's right. uh, and, and because of – like if, if you make an all-NBA team in your first three years or four years, then you get that. Uh, but he's, he's not at that level quite yet. He's, he's going to be in that, that all-star category in my opinion. And – uh, so it's going to be around the basically the same contract that Jamal signed because they've been they've been uh, at a flat salary cap mostly for these last few years given the all the salary cap ramifications that they've had to go through. So it's going to be about five years, 170 million. It's going to be a lot of money, and the Nuggets are going to have to deal with it. But who else are you going to pay for in that situation when you've already got Nicole Jokic and Jamal Murray locked up? Like I don't see anybody else walking through that door 2021, 2022. That is as talented and as capable as Michael Porter Jr. So you've already got the kid. Why, why not? Why not try to bring him along? Why not try to see where it goes? And the Michael Porter that hits 26 years old and is averaging like 28, 28, eight and six. Like I think that there's going to be like you're, you're going to want to pay for that guy. Like I, I really believe that. Uh, one last question: uh, Do you what do you think they're going to do with Austin Rivers in the offseason? Obviously, he's eligible to re-resign. Um, I, my theory is that, that, that with Jamal not expected to come back until later next season, I think that they, that, uh, if I'm the nuggets, they would probably, uh, give him a one year contract and, uh, because Jamal's not going to be back. I mean, that's the, I mean, to me, that's the kind of the, the, the way I've been thinking about it because they're kind of in a bind, um, you don't have a ton of options. They don't have a ton of cheap options. And uh, I think they, they need all the help they can get. And I think that would inc- make me believe that Rivers is coming back. Yeah, I would actually – I would be surprised if Rivers wasn't back based off of how he's played, based off of what he's done. Uh, I think the Nuggets are going to be in a tough situation with him, though, that they can't get trapped into paying him an extreme amount of money uh, for what he's done in the playoffs. Because if they do, and if that's what Rivers is expecting, that that's going to be really tough for Denver because they've got all these guys that they also really care about. And right. if, if they plan on paying all four of Jokic, Murray, Porter, and Gordon uh, long-term, then, then I, I don't think they want a long-term contract for Austin Rivers on the books. 
Uh, so I, I, it's probably going to be short term. I think a lot of it also depends on what to do with Will Barton and, and how that, how he decides what to do with his player option. Right. That's probably the first thing I'm looking for beyond the, the extension possibilities for Porter and Gordon and, and Jokic actually in the off season, Denver can extend all three of those guys. They can, they can give those guys big extensions and they're going to offer Jokic the super max, but they're going to probably offer Porter a max. And, and it, it would be su- they wouldn't be surprising if they offered Gordon something like four years, 80 million. So this team is going to get really expensive really quickly. And, and it's going to be tough to like, if you've already got Monte Morris locked into a, a mid a mid-sized deal, if you've got Will Barton locked in for a little bit of a deal here, it's tough to pay Austin rivers too. So they're going to have to make some tough choices. Now, uh, when did Jokic sign his last deal? Was it 18 or 19? It was, it was the summer of 18. I'm pretty sure. And they, they, yeah. So basically he has two, he's got, he's got two more years on his deal, but he becomes super max extension eligible uh, this year. Uh, That's, that's one of the things off, off of your second contract, then you, then you have that ability to do so. Right. Uh, because of that, he, and like the Nuggets are going to pay him that. They're going to offer him and, and pray that he accepts it. Uh, I do think that they have that opportunity with him and, and he has totally freaking earned it. So if, he, if that's something that he wants to sign, if he wants to commit to Denver long-term, it'll give the Nuggets an opportunity to see what they have going forward on their books, uh, how they can navigate the rest of the roster around what he is already doing, and then try to fill in the gaps where they see fit. Because they've already got Monte. He'll be, he'll be the starting point guard next year, I think, until Murray comes back. Uh, they'll have to figure out what to do with the two. Because uh, I, I don't know if it's going to be Barton. But if they've got Porter, Gordon, and Jokic, then you can, you can feel pretty great about what you're bringing back, especially if Murray's eventually going to come back and try to get fully healthy. Well, uh, it's going to be interesting to watch because the Nuggets got some decisions to make. But the, you know what? Hopefully they won't have to be, be making that decision until sometime in July because they will have made it to the finals. So uh, that's at least they're going to have to make that decision anyway. But anyway, that's, a, that's, that's what I like it. I, I like it, Jeff. It's going to be fun. <laughs> All right. So uh, Ryan Blackburn, thank you uh, for joining me on this one. Um, tell the folks on CSG where they can find you and uh all your socials and uh and your podcast well thank you for the floor i do appreciate that (laughs) uh uh, every every csg listener if you're interested you can find my work over at denverstiffs.com uh jeff may be familiar with that website uh and and you guys might too so so uh (laughs) make sure to make sure to go check that out we've got some great work some great writers that are doing some awesome things over there uh, you can make sure to, if you're interested in my podcasting, you can follow it at Pickaxe and Roll, which is another Mile High Sports podcast that you should definitely check out. Uh, use uh, promo code MHS over at DraftKings. That would be great. Uh, but uh, other than that, I'm, I'm at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, and and you guys can uh, just follow me there. And I, I, I do a lot of shit posting over there and a lot of uh, <laughs> analytics posting and things like that. So I complained about the refs this morning. That is what I did. <laughs> And uh, and uh, I, I I rousted Ryan this morning out of his out of his usual pattern of sleep, and I I do apologize for that. But I I I am an old man, and I can't do late podcasts anymore. So um. well, well, you know where I'm going, Jeff. You know exactly where I'm going now. That now we're done with this podcast. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much, sir, for joining me, and we'll be seeing you all next. 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.